Welcome to more than a few words of marketing conversation for business owners. My name is Lorraine Ball, and along with Allison Carter, good morning, Allison. Good morning. We host a weekly conversation about marketing, networking, social media, and topics, other topics of interest to small business owners. This morning, our guest is Andrew Gowdy. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. And Andrew is going to be talking about search engine optimization. If you have a question for Andrew, you can call in at 805-285-9865. If you have a question, be sure to push the one key so I'll know to include you in the call. You can also share your comments and questions on Twitter with Allison watching the keyboard, and be sure to use the hashtag pound, MTFW. Okay, let's get started. Andrew, why don't you tell folks a little bit about kind of what you're doing now, and then we'll jump into the conversation we were having before we started the, the show talking about search. But let people know where they can find you now. So right now, I am the lead strategist at Rella SEO. Rella SEO is a very small consultancy which operates uh, both out of Indianapolis and Denver, Colorado. And we specialize in organic search marketing, uh, what you commonly know as SEO, search engine optimization. And that has a couple of implications for content and analytics and uh, helping mainly B2B companies uh, produce lead generation strategies. And over the years, um, I have uh, watched Rella and, and Andrew work with different clients, and I have watched in envy as some of your clients have, have moved rapidly up uh, in search engine rankings. And that's really what it, it's all about. On a regular basis, clients come to us and say, hey, can you put me on page one? It's a, it's a really common question that we get all the time. And sometimes um, you don't always know all of the moving pieces that have to do with what's behind getting to page one. Sometimes it's a very simple fix of what we would refer to as optimization of changing you know, very small technical details, and sometimes it's the task of moving mountains where you have to create the authority necessary to uh, have that ranking and to outpace your competitors. And that's, that, that idea that you have to outpace your competitors, I, I often hear from clients, well, my website was optimized when it was built. Uh, that is one of the most common misnomers of modern SEO, is that uh, optimization is a one-time experience, and once your site has been quote-unquote optimized, you'll never have to touch it again. It's completely untrue. Uh, what is actually true is that um, there are both qualitative and quantitative measures for assessing the quality of a website based on uh, what people say about your website online, who links to you, from where, how active are you in social media, and a lot of those factors sort of intermingle in Google's algorithm, which is really just a fancy word for a mathematical weighting system. And the whole change. Very much so. In the last six to eight months, we've seen some of the most uh, far-reaching changes, I would say, um, probably within the last eight years. Um, you know, when, we, when, we, when Google started in 1998, and up until about circa 2003, search engine optimization was really just that, optimization. And that's where a lot of these common misnomers come from, is that the way in which a search engine originally operated was based on keyword placement. If I get my keywords placed in my title tag and my meta keywords, 
and my meta description, which was originally a ranking factor, isn't now. But uh, if I get my keywords placed, if I have enough of them, if I have enough landing pages on my site, I'm going to get crawled and I'm going to get indexed. I'm going to get ranked highly. And now that's just no longer the case. So when you stumble on a website that has 25 words at the bottom of the page, every service that the company offers, and, and sometimes there are links to other pages, and sometimes they're just words sort of randomly placed there, does that really have an impact anymore? Well, uh, the question is, does it have a negative impact? And sometimes the answer to that question is yes. Wow. What you have to remember is that within the, the most recent updates, specifically the Panda updates, as Google calls them, which started uh, in mid-2009 mid and the latest updates happening this year in 2012, is that Google has started to become uh, sort of the self-proclaimed quality expert when it comes to on-page uh, structure and how you're presenting content. Are there too many ads on this page? Are there, are there not enough words? Is there too much... Uh, dynamically or automatically generated content is the amount of unique content. And if you answer those questions with, well, we're not sure if we're creating the best user experience, chances are you're putting your site at risk for just not doing yourself any favors when it comes to creating higher search rank. So Google, where they two or three years ago looked at a website and looked at the keywords. I mean, they basically looked around, found a couple of keywords and said, okay, this page is about this. You're saying that their analysis evaluation tools are significantly better now. I would say that within the last couple of years that they've put into effect some of the some of the things that they've been telling us for years. You know, Matt Cutts, the uh, the head of Google's web spam team, is sort of their you know pretty official mascot when it comes to content value and how they value content and how they rank things and changes that are being made. And his message to us for years now, for probably four or five years, has been producing content, producing content, producing content, and probably going back even further. And now uh, Google really has the technology to be able to back that statement up with actual you know, implications for ranking. The changes specifically in the last six months with the Penguin update that you may have heard something about have more so to do with how a link into your site is valued. So in about 2003, uh, Google implemented one of its first major algorithmic changes called the Florida Update. And what the Florida Update was designed to do was to eliminate all of the, the web spam tactics that had been prevalent prior to, uh, prior to, prior to Florida. I mean, all those things you hear about keyword stuffing, and um, you know all those on-page strategies. And those pages that um, were really popular, um, the million-dollar web page where you could buy like a little square. And uh, okay, you're looking. You don't know what I'm talking about. The million-dollar web page. I think I remember. You're Basically, this guy sold sold little spaces on his website for a dollar a like a dollar a pixel right. and they were a million pixels on the page. So when he sold all the boxes, yeah, he made a million dollars. and he linked to your website. And this was early when there were no I mean there were not a lot of places you could go. And that was sort of one of the early predecessors to like link farms. Pages that were nothing but outbound links. Yeah. And so it was the Florida update that kind of said, no, those pages are garbage and a link from there doesn't have value? Well, no. It was actually the Florida update that would have made that kind of site more valuable. Oh, okay. 
So uh, circa, again, about 2003, 2004, Google started to really uh, promote value in its algorithm as far as links are concerned. And that uh, sort of you know, tactic and strategy as far as link acquisition has been a, a major cornerstone of any SEO offering for probably the last eight years, and I think it's going to continue to be so. Now, the major change is going to be the, the sort of exchange and the sort of way in which uh, we acquire links and we produce that sort of authority for a client. You're going to see a lot of SEO agencies shifting to a more uh, content marketing platform, to a more online PR platform, and those types of services to create a more newsworthy, journalistic appeal for their client's content. Okay, so break that down a little bit for, for a small business owner who was really happy if he put a, a comment on somebody else's website or, and they, you know, he included a link back to his website and that was phase one. Right. And, and that, was, that was a great strategy four or five years ago. Go out, comment on related blogs, you know, get involved in conversations that are relevant to your business and create those back and forth links. Mm -hmm. But that's not enough anymore. It really isn't. Uh, what has really continued to be the case as far as uh, the links coming into your website is that Google continues to value a diverse link profile. And what I mean by that is a, a site that is weighted completely down by a singular activity such as blog comments like you just mentioned is going to have much less weight than someone who goes out does a little bit of blog commenting, is a little active in social media, sends out a press release once a quarter or maybe once a month if they have budget to do so, and continually spreads a message in a variety of different platforms. Now you have to, of course, have content on site that matches up with everything that you're doing to promote it with. So there's definitely much more, I think there's much more balance in Google's algorithm uh, within the last six to eight months than there has been for years. Okay, so social media, um, there was a point where Google was indexing Twitter, then the word on the street was they're not. Mm -hmm. Links on Twitter that drive traffic back to your site have value in the short term, but do they have a, a search value as well? If and when those links are not being indexed by Google, and currently they're not, there's no direct correlation with uh, your major social links via Facebook and Twitter to search engine rankings. Now, let me, let me expand on that. There's a caveat to that. When you're active in social media, you're, you're reaching out to influencers. You're reaching out to people who can speak to your brand's value and can, can syndicate and amplify your message in a way that, that gives you more value, right? Now, what generally tends to happen, and there have been a couple of studies done to support this. Uh, SEO Moz did one last year, which did a bit study on Facebook, either shares or likes. Now, their mission was to determine if Facebook shares and likes were a causal factor for increased search ranking or not. And what they found, and their message at the end of the study was, no, it's not a causal factor, but we certainly believe it's a leading indicator for rankings, because as they revisit rankings months later, they saw a definite uptick in sites that they had segmented out with Facebook likes and shares. So the idea is that if you're building this community here in the short run, it's not going to affect your search position, but over time as, as more people become aware of your content here, they're going to look for it in other places, they're going to find your website, and, and so it's going to raise the authority overall. Yes. Okay. And what generally tends to happen is you share something on Facebook, it gets picked up, you know, by a blogger or a 
you know, a news columnist or a journalist or somebody that has a more direct impact via search, and there's a, there's a direct impact there. So you're exactly correct. In the short term, social continues to have definite value for, you know, amplification and reaching your, your target audience where they are. And in the long term for search, it has some, uh, not direct, but some delayed impact as far as rankings are concerned. Okay, while we're on the subject of social, let's talk about the social network that's not a social network. Google Plus. <laughs> so my, my stance on Google Plus is a pretty simple one. The reason why Google did that is, is because they wanted social data as a mix-in to their search algorithm, okay? Google makes money via paid advertising. They have since their inception, and they will continue to do so until, you know, they're irrelevant, dead, getting bought, whatever. Now, their mission is to provide us with the, the best content possible for our search. And a good way to do that, and Bing has shown this and been pretty successful with this, is to mix in uh, things that your friends like and trust and brands that they, you know, are, are affiliated with in the search results exactly. So the, the question that you get a lot is, well, you know, is, is Google just competing with Facebook? And yes, for ad share and for, you know, clicks via the search engine and that sort of thing. But um, are they trying to be the best social game on the block? I don't think so. They, they want a social graph to influence search results. That's, that's what it is at the end of the day. Now, having said all that, if you're going to enact a social strategy that you feel has a more direct cause and effect with search ranking, Google Plus is kind of your way to go. Uh, now, it has, in my estimation, a more limited scope for amplification of your message in terms of audience size, just because of the amount of people that you know don't have accounts yet in Google Plus. Um, but I think it's going to continue to be a, a, a decent-sized cornerstone of their of their search strategy, and they've continued to you know interject Google Plus results in search results. They've moved all of their uh, places and maps listings into the Google Plus database. They continue to make it more and more prevalent and try and get more and more people into that system. So on, uh, I'm a Gmail user, so I have a Google Plus account. It's just there. Uh, as a small business, I have my personal G Plus page, and I have a Rampeg page because I can, and I put company pages wherever I can. Exactly. My question is, if I'm putting content up and, and sharing it on G Plus, is there any research that says it's going to have more value if I share it from me as Lorraine Ball or from Rampeg? Does it not matter as long as it's up there? I think that's less of a question for search and more of a question for, you know, where where does your content have more value coming from in terms of your brand equity? So if if you have more equity as, you know, and as an individual, your personal brand, you get more following there, chances are it's going to have more value there just in terms of your audience scope and size. If your, you know, company page, if you're wanting to grow that, I think it, the question has more to do with, you know, what your goals are with growing uh, the reach of that particular page and its audience. Impact for search is going to be, you know, pretty directly tied to the audience size in that case. So it really, again, ties back to what's what's the equity of that brand and that page, and what is your audience there? Did it? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that actually makes sense, and it's kind of an interesting reverse because on Twitter, 
for me personally, I started as Roundpeg and now I have a Lorraine Ball account. Right. Roundpeg is this giant account, it's got 6,000 followers, Lorraine Ball has 500. If I really want to push a message out that is business related, I'm going to push it out on Roundpeg. Mm -hmm. On G+, because I started as Lorraine Ball, I have a much larger community and also your community is a little bit limited as a business page mm -hmm. because you can't just connect with people. They have to follow you. They have to follow you. So my business page on G Plus doesn't have the reach. So that kind of answers the question. I can share it on Roundhead, but I have to reshare it. Mm -hmm. It's going to have real value when it comes from me personally. Right. Now what I'll say to that too is, you know, with a with a smaller audience there and with the added, I guess I'll say, I'll say the word barrier, I don't know if it's accurate, um, but you can't sort of inflate those figures unnaturally. You can't unnaturally, I'm not sure if I'm using the correct grammar there, inflate those figures. So I think the quality of that following might be a little bit higher, but mm -hmm. you'd be more apt to comment on that. Yeah, uh, well, um, lots of, uh, I, I've noticed this on G+, lots of people are trying to make connections and follow anybody that pops up in their stream. And um, I haven't figured out yet whether it makes sense to be selective or not. Um, for right now, I'm still being somewhat selective on who I, I really want to keep up with on G+. So to some extent, I am limiting, uh, even for, for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other thing that's a little bit of a frustration with regard to, to G+, and, you know, as it gets more prevalent and, and more ubiquitous across accounts, is the whole Google Analytics, you know, not filtered, not set uh, piece. Now, if you've looked at your Google Analytics account lately and you do any sort of keyword analysis, you'll notice that a lot of your keyword traffic is coming in as this not set, not filtered, and you get a lot of, uh, I guess, there's a, a, a blind spot in your keyword analysis. Mm -hmm. And what that has to do is uh, with is last year, around about October, Google implemented a policy where they forced HTTPS encryption, they forced an encryption on accounts that are logged in using their service. And what that does is it limits the keyword level intelligence for your search, your organic search marketing activities coming into your website. So as more and more accounts and more and more people are doing search while logged into Google Plus, that's going to limit a marketer's intelligence for their ability to get keyword level conversion data and engagement data on their website. So, on the one hand, okay, so while it's feeding their intelligence for pay-per-click, and I can go and I can look and see what searches are happening, they're getting better data, but the kind of information that's coming to me is getting worse. It's getting worse, which makes a lot of sense. As I'm looking at my own analytics, I'm seeing a lot of traffic that says it's coming from search, mm -hmm. but then when I look at the keywords, that drove traffic, the totals don't match. Exactly. You've got a you've got a setting there which says, you know, at the top of your your Google Analytics filter for keywords, you're going to see a uh, a filter, a line item that says not set. And we've seen, you know, clients who have come in and had you know levels of up to 50% of their traffic just get blanked out. You don't have that keyword level data, and you really have to dive in. And, and do some real digging to get a sense of where those are coming from. Are they branded search? Are they non-branded search? You know, how much time they're spending? It just sort of gets all muddled and averaged. 
and you lose a real, really good chunk that we once had in terms of analyzing uh, search visitors, organic search visitors that come in. Now, with pay-per-click, you still get all of that intelligence. So it's another, another emphasis from the 800-pound gorilla to spend more money with paid search. Which is it's kind of, uh, when you think about it, it's sort of a cross-purposes. Because it's the one, on the one hand, they're telling us that we need to make our websites better and we need to have more good content. Mm -hmm. And the information that we would use to create the good content is relevant keyword input, right. but they're now hiding that relevant keyword input from us. It's a little bit of a double standard. Uh, there's been a lot of sort of angry back and forthing. You know, if you read some of the SEO Moz forum posts, you know, between Matt Cutts and Rand Fishkin and, and some of those, you know, industry players, uh, nobody's really happy about, you know, that circumstance. Google's public message on that one was, well, we only expect, you know, a range of, you know, single digits. Uh, you know, figures to be affected by you know this sort of uh, you know, this sort of blind spot, as I call it, and it's just not been the case, uh, you know, across industry sampling. I think uh, they they tended to include in their sample size a couple of sites that just had you know huge data sets that would sort of skew figures against you know small business owners who have you know maybe a couple thousand uh, visitors coming into the site, or maybe a couple hundred only per month that are coming into your organic search. And the rest of that data just gets, you know, sort of lost in the mix. So for me, one of the things that, that we do is we look more at where people are going. Because we're losing some of that keyword data, mm -hmm. relevant keyword data. We're looking at what pages people are going to, and we're using that to drive future content. Are there other strategies that business owners that are primarily focused on organic. They're making a decision they don't want to do PPC at mm -hmm. this point. Now, what I will say, and a lot of even, you know, corporate and enterprise companies miss the boat on this in terms of analytics. Um, even, you know, if a, if a major corporation hasn't made the switch from Google Analytics to Omniture, and most of your small business owners are going to be in Google Analytics, which is totally fine. It's great. It does a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, and I'm really excited about some of the new multi-channel analytics and, and some of the analysis that you get there. But um, to answer your question about something that a small business owner should be focused on, in my opinion, is goal tracking. When you enable goal tracking on a site, you get out of sort of anecdotal soft metrics like time on site and time on page and you know, uh, number of visits, and you start qualifying by number of form submissions and you know, number of lead submissions. If you have an e-commerce site, you can actually tack on a, a dollar value mm -hmm. to the types of traffic that are coming into your site. So, excuse me, what I would say is if you don't currently, if you have Google Analytics right now and you don't have goal tracking set up and you have any sort of on-site engagement where you can, you know, go to a contact page and fill out a form, which is, you know, very easy to implement, that's something that I definitely feel you should be tracking and you should be looking at on a monthly basis to say, how is my content doing? How are my social activities doing? Um, and, you know, what are the driving factors for online engagement in terms of conversion and actual business level KPIs and dollar signs? So it's not enough to say, I got more traffic yesterday from Facebook or Twitter. The question is, the people that came from Facebook, did they go all the way to my conversion form? Are people who come from LinkedIn more likely to download the white paper? So that's really, it's not just how much traffic comes, but 
which traffic does something when they get there. Exactly. This is an, uh, a conversation that Allison and I have regularly because we stumble and we submit our pages to stumble and the truth is it inflates our traffic numbers but it drives our time on site way down because stumble is a two seconds we're gone, two seconds we're gone. Exactly. So you know you have to you have to weigh the you know the percentages and, and make some sense um, out of that with regard to you know the complete picture. Some of you, you get a lot of questions for what's an average bounce rate, and that's you know that's just not something that you generally want to focus on because it's going to be even within your industry it's going to be different on your site because you have a completely different presentation of content. Can you use it as a benchmark to say okay anything more than a 30 or 40 percent bounce rate is going to be something that you want to look at and potentially improve? Sure. But should you obsess about it? I think part of it is, to the point that you just made, your site is different. And so looking at it over time, if we were at 50% bounce rate and now we're at 40, that's great. Right. Sequential improvement is the name of the game. What can I do today? What can I do this week or this month to you know, sequentially improve uh, my likelihood of getting somebody into the site? having them have a quality branded impression of what it is that I'm providing and then in the end convert. Awesome. Okay, we have just a few more minutes. So the question is, I know the time flies, doesn't it? It does. So question is if there was one other thing that you would tell business owners they need to be doing today, recognizing that all bets are off six months from now as Google changes the rules again. What should they be doing today? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, you know, if it were me, I would be investing in, um, I think we just touched on it, I'd be investing in, in conversion analysis. I think it's something that, you know, most marketing firms do is kind of an afterthought when it comes to online, even, even large marketing firms do as an afterthought. Um, and I think it provides the most, you know, sort of critical online intelligence for, you know, which of your traffic sources and which of your marketing efforts are providing actual true return on investment. And it's sort of, in my estimation, the missing piece at, at the end of the, the sales funnel when it comes to online, and a lot of people sort of miss the boat. The idea that the Internet is probably the most trackable kind of marketing. It, I mean, I've been doing marketing for a long time, and a lot of my work predates this kind of ability to specific tie results to, to activities, uh, it opens up a world of possibilities, but I don't. I think you're right. I don't know that most companies do as good a job as they should. I don't know that we do as good a job as we should at looking at some of this. So now I have some homework. Yeah. Thank you very much, Andrew. <laughs> um, but the other thing to, to carry with that, when you're looking at all of this data, it can be really overwhelming. So there really is some value in having somebody like a Lorraine Ball or somebody here around the head walking you through the figures and not necessarily even telling you what to look at, but telling you what to ignore. Because there are a lot of just extraneous figures, soft metrics, and you can get, you know, into this granular level of data analysis to just get you bogged down and focused on the wrong things. Um, so it, it can be my one message as far as, you know, data analysis, get conversion tracking set up, and then you know, pick three metrics that you want to focus on moving the new on, and you know, put your blinders on and, and focus on nothing else. Because in, in the reality is, if you do these three things really well, it's going to have 
a residual effect in those other areas because they're all tied together. Exactly. We, we talk about the same thing when it comes to social media. It's pick one platform that you can do really well and the others will fall into place. Okay, so as we're wrapping up, if people want to find you, if they want to talk to you online, where can they find you? Well, I'm on Twitter at agouty, A-G-O-U-T-Y. Uh, you can also find Rella's website at rellaseo.com and find all of our content there. Awesome. Thank you so very much. Thanks for having me. If you have enjoyed today's conversation, if you would like to learn more of marketing, networking, social media, and SEO, be sure to check out our blog at roundpeg.biz. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.